Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm very excited to have as my conversation partner today, Steve Thompson. Steve is a pastor at Watermark Church in the Grand Haven area here in Michigan, and he is also the varsity coach for the girls' soccer team at Muskegon High School. Uh, he's a husband, he's a father, he's a dog owner, uh, he wears a lot of different hats. But Steve, thanks so much for being a part of the conversation today. Yeah, I love it. Thanks for the invite. Steve, talk to me a little bit about like just your ministry journey. How did you get involved in in church leadership and what role are you playing these days at, at Watermark? Yeah, well, I'll try and make it a short one. That goes back. I was born and raised in a ministry family. Uh, my parents were both pastors and missionaries. And so that was exactly the thing I did not want to do. Um, yep. And uh, And yet through college specifically, it felt like God was kind of pushing me that direction. I tried to go Christian counseling, but time, by the time I got to seminary, God just kind of was really making obvious pastoral ministry was where he was inviting me and opening all the doors. So my wife and I, we pastored a church on the east side of the state, Auburn Hills, Michigan, for five years. And then we've had the privilege of planting and starting a church in Grand Haven called Watermark Church with our good friends, Steve and Vicki Durr. I grew up with Vicki on the east side of the state, and Steve and I have been friends since college. And so it's just been a real cool ministry uh, partnership and journey starting a church. And now we're looking at 20-year anniversary this fall, which is just crazy to think about. That is too wild. Well, thank you for uh, church planters are some of my favorite people in the world. They are a lot bit brave and a little bit crazy and a thousand percent faithful. Uh, so thank you so much for doing the work that you and your family have done to invest in your community. It's a privilege. I, I enjoy it. So Steve, talk to me a little bit about your family dynamic. Like where did you and your wife meet? And then where did the small Thompsons enter the picture? Yeah, we met at Spring Arbor University, which is just a college at that point. It's one of those things where we were in one of those traveling groups that represent singing groups that represent the school. And yeah, so you sure. can know each other really well in groups like that. And uh, yeah, we, we fell for each other and started dating um, got engaged when I graduated and she was still, she was a couple years behind me. Um, and then, uh, got married my first semester of, um, seminary and she was in the middle of her junior year. So we took our time finishing up college and seminary down in Kentucky. And then toward the end of that time, she was actually doing her student teaching. Um, we got pregnant with our firstborn. And so that was, yeah, five years into our marriage. And, um, yeah, so now he is turning 25 this year, which is crazy. But we have, since that point then, five kids. We had two boys pretty quickly, a year and a half apart. Uh, and then third child came along three years after that. Okay. And then we were settled. We both wanted four kids since the time we had gotten together. We were both saying four kids. She was like, I am not pushing any more kids out of my body. So like, that's probably not going to happen. So unless somebody drops off a kid on our doorstep, I think we're done. Honestly, through Steve and Vicki, who were going to be adopting uh, internationally, they invited us to a Bethany um, get familiar with adoption kind of meeting. And uh, that opened our hearts to like, hey, we've always said we wanted four, but we haven't really pushed through this door at all. So we ended up going through Catholic Charities and we got our foster license with the hope that we would adopt some kids out of foster care that, that we would have the chance to foster. And so that was in 2008. 
and um, and then we were blessed with two kids pretty early on that we had only had a couple other uh, foster placements, kind of respite placements. In 2008, we had a little baby, uh, just two weeks old, that needed a place, and we fell in love with her, and it moved pretty quickly, actually, um, that we were able to adopt our fourth child. Less than a year later, uh, her brother was born, and of course, we made a home for him. He's been a part of our family. We adopted him quickly as well. So yeah, that's in a nutshell how quickly we got to five. So everybody got to keep their promises. Your wife had had three and then you got four and then got added a bonus round just for good measure. So everybody got what they wanted. Yes. And then some. Talk about that journey. How were your other kids with incorporating um, new people into your family? And what is what has that journey been like? I'm sure there have been twists and turns along the way. Yeah, it was interesting because we were really intentional um, wanting to involve our kids who are pretty young at that point in the journey knowing that we were doing the whole foster situation, you're having kids as a part of your family who are probably being pulled out of very traumatic, difficult, hard situations, which is the whole reason. And so it's really interesting because you're wanting to give a home and a safe space. And so you're praying protection on somebody that you know is in a very unsafe spot. But it was so good and healthy and helpful to have all of us excited about it and knowing that the Lord was orchestrating whatever was about to happen. The kids were so excited to have a baby. We had gotten rid of all of our baby stuff. So we had to really (laughs) go out and, you know, get the crib, get the diapers, get all that stuff and relaunch the baby phase. That was fantastic. So honestly, we thought we were settled at four, but knowing full well, I don't know why it just didn't like, I don't think calibrate in my mind, maybe that the, the social workers said, yeah, it's a young mom. So the likelihood of having subsequent kids is pretty high, but that just didn't register with me. And so, you know, 11 months later, when we actually had uh, our two boys at the one set of grandparents and our two girls at another set of grandparents, and we are just starting a week alone for the first time in forever, we got the phone call. Emma had a little brother. Will you take him in? Jessica was immediately yes. And I was like, could we talk about this for a second? Honestly, for me, it was a bit of a battle. I remember driving out and just overlooking to a spot that overlooked the Grand River and really having a conversation with the Lord because I was trying to be very intentional as a parent. And I felt like I had a lot of things in place that were going so well. Mm-hmm. And I just knew this was going to change that dynamic somehow. I felt like the Lord was saying me, I'm not forcing you to do this, but I'm opening a door. And if you want to walk through the door, I've got a lot of things for you on the other side of that and for mm-hmm. your family. But it, it definitely had that feel of this is not going to be easy. This will be difficult. So and you had that sense from the get-go. From the get-go. That was, you know, sight unseen. Hadn't even met the little guy yet. It was just a sense that everything was going to change and it would it would not be easy. And so I, I was like, yeah, we got to do this. It just felt like, how, why would I turn down an opportunity that the Lord has for us? So from day one, you were committing to adopting him, not to fostering him. Well, we kind of knew that it would go that direction since okay. the bio mom had yeah. voluntarily given up her oldest. It just we kind of knew that that would, would go that direction. So, okay. Okay. And that did in fact play out that way right from the get go. He's in withdrawal symptoms. He was incredibly fussy and 
just uncomfortable as a baby. And it just started a journey of learning who this little guy was and learning that he had challenges and disabilities, but we didn't know what they were and we didn't know how to handle them. There was no training book or guide for that. We knew that he had been exposed in utero to various uh, chemical substances, but we didn't know what that cocktail meant for him, for his inner makeup. And he didn't have any physical presentations of problems. Mm -hmm. So things that maybe you'd see, um, like with, with Down syndrome, there's physical presentations. What we would find out later was fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. It used to be called FAS, fetal alcohol syndrome, is now a spectrum. We didn't know what we were dealing with or how to address it. And so feeling very unequipped, overwhelmed. Yeah, where do we go from here? And how old was he when you were finally able to get that diagnosis? So I'll give you a little story behind that. Actually, we were, let's see, he was in second grade at a public school in our district's highest level of help and support. He was getting regularly sent home from that for his tantrums, his rages would hurt students, would hurt the teachers. And they'd had even had a kind of this isolation room. He could climb out of that. And so it was clear that that the school and that specific situation was not going to be able to help him. (laughs) There's various things that I'll get into. I hope this is okay. But there's various things that I felt like God was doing in this. We ended up getting him into Ottawa area OAISD. Mm -hmm. And that was a godsend right away, we felt like we had the support that we needed from the educational system, at least for him. And then Jessica and I ended up going to a seminar for foster parents and adoptive parents in Lansing. They were talking primarily about FASD, which we knew hardly anything about. But as they were describing symptoms, and as they were talking about strategies, it was all of a sudden, like somebody was giving us a lifeline. Like we had some kind of an answer and there was actually strategies that we could deal with this. You know, that was over the course of months, but it felt like all of a sudden God heard our cry and provided exactly the assistance we needed. So that began our journey coming to understand what FASD is and what the immense amount of impact that that has on his neurological makeup, but biological makeup as well. And then how that plays out. Because when you're faced with all of these behaviors, I think one of the biggest tasks actually of anybody who deals with a person who's struggling with this neurological disorder is you're trying to understand, are these willing behaviors? Is this willful disobedience or misbehavior? Or is this just a behavioral presentation of something that they're not capable of processing or understanding or doing in the moment? So deciphering the two then determines how you act and interact. And as parents, then what we had been given was kind of your standard, you know, behavioral psychology where you can reward or consequence, you you reward behavior you want to see repeated, you consequence behavior that you want to eliminate, and you end up having, you know, a well-behaved child kind of a thing. Well, that's just not how it works when neural capacity is not there because the behaviors aren't willful disobediences. And they're not, they're not conscious or premeditated. It's not. And so when you try to treat it that way, 
then that's when you end up, you feel like you're doing nothing but consequencing and it doesn't have any preventative effect. It will not cut off that behavior from repeating down the road. It's now understanding that behavior as a symptom of an issue so that you can then come alongside of it and handle it completely differently. So that's been the road we've been on since, what would that be? 2000, I don't know, 17 or so, 16, 17, 18, right in there. Okay. Okay. So what were some of the immediate changes that you were able to make, Steve, as, as a result of being able to connect those dots between the, the behaviors and maybe some of the root causes? Actually, can I go about it this way? One of the things that was revealed very quickly then that was my anger response in response to his anger was completely unproductive uh, and counterproductive and was doing nothing but revealing some character flaws that I had. Mm -hmm. I'm a pretty laid back, chill guy. If you're familiar with Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram seven. So I kind of run to fun, but my anger was just, I had never experienced that those levels of, of anger at disobedience, what I perceived as willful disobedience. So re-understanding then that my anger was an inappropriate response and that I actually, what I had to offer him was my regulation in the face of his dysregulation. Mm-hmm. I had to offer him my calm when he could not access calm. Now that's hard to do when now I don't have calm. (laughs) So then I had to learn how myself, how to access calm, how to regulate, how to bring myself down and talk myself through the situation. It was even just a month ago that uh, we were, we've been going through the book of Daniel as, as a faith family, as a church. And I'm reading Daniel chapter three with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And two times in that passage, and I I have it here beside me because I wanted to bring it up, Nebuchadnezzar flew off the handle at what he perceived was willful disobedience on the part of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, in their case, it was. They were perfectly, they were willfully disobeying. But his response was, when he heard about it, in rage and fury, he gave the command to bring them before him. And then they come before him and he asks, hey, is this true, these accusations? And it says, then Nebuchadnezzar, when they said yes, was full of fury. And the expression on his face changed, like his face was distorted with rage. He commands that the furnace be heated 10 times hotter than ever before, so that even when the guards, his special guards, threw them in the furnace, they died because it was so hot. And so this complete overreaction Hmm. to a sense of what they were doing. The picture I was getting, again, it was a reminder for me at this point, was God was saying, this actually isn't about them and their misbehavior. It's about you and your insecurity or your desire to control the situation or how it makes you look. So I just felt like God was kind of revealing different layers of of my own issues in this and why I was flying off the handle or why I become angry. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, I need you to teach me again. How do you want me to act and react? And I know I've been getting skills and tools all along with this, but there's something special about when kind of the Lord revealed something. Yeah. And in that moment, he was like, I would like you, you're supposed to be as a dad revealing me as father God to your kids. And so how do you think I would act? And I'm like, that's a great question. Like, how do you react to this kind of situation? And he, in my mind, took me back to the garden 
when Adam and Eve have first, you know, eaten the fruit, they know they're wrong, they know they're guilty, and they immediately run and hide. And God says he's walking through the garden in the cool of the day because they had this intimate relationship where they just chilled with each other, right? And now they're nowhere to be found. God, of course, knows where they are, but he starts off with a question, where are you? He's just like, he's calling for them. He's searching for them. He's trying to come near. And then when he finds them and they're having a conversation, they're covered, who told you you're naked, you know, all those, he's, he's curious and he's asking questions. Who told you that? And it's not an immediate, like fly off the handle rage consequencing. There would be consequences, but that was kind of a measured thing afterward. It was, God was drawing near and trying to get to the heart of the matter with them. And so just that picture alone has me when my son is dysregulated and flying off the handle. The thought that I have is how do I draw near in this moment and get curious? Hmm. So I try to get physically near if he'll allow me to. Sometimes it's just, you need to stay back, but I try to get as close as possible, as low as possible with my voice as little as possible physically. Whereas before I would try to go over and above his anger or try to power down the big explosiveness to try and control the situation. And in my mind, I'm protecting, but I was just coming up and over. I feel like God's given me this picture of now coming quiet and under Hmm. and getting curious about it. And then once the thing settles, now he's got access to calm and we can actually talk about what went on. And, you know, what was causing the fight or flight response or what transition, what change threw him off. And so it's just a completely different way of approaching my kid. And I wish I had then had these tools for my other kids too, because that would have been so cool to have been able to approach them that way with discipline or with issues, you know, that came up. So yeah, yeah, those are the big learnings that I've been having recently. And it really along the way, but that was been, been the most recent way that God's kind of given me a good picture for how I'm to come alongside my son, who's now yeah. 13, by the way. Well, that's, that's an important in transitional age. I mean, there are a lot of things that are going on in everybody's life when they turn 13. How are you seeing God at work in, in his life through this recent chapter of the journey? Man, there's so many things. One of the fun parts, so there's a ton of challenges that I could list out for you for kids with FASD. But, you know, kids all have their gifts and their strengths as well. And uh, we were just talking about this yesterday, actually, with a couple of my friends, that his superpower is he is he's super sensitive. Actually, he's super sensitive then to the Holy Spirit. And when God speaks to him, like it's pretty matter of factly, God's spoken to him. And so um, I've begun over the past few years to take him along with me to like pastors conferences and stuff like that in places where normally kids would not be like, especially kids with attention problems would not have any interest. It would be just chaos. He tunes in, he leans in and he's curious and he, he loves to actually be around kind of spirit filled stuff. Long story short, he has joined our prayer team at the church because he has zero problems praying with people. He will pray with perfect strangers. Um, if he sees a physical problem, he will offer to pray for healing. Um, now, part of that is with an FASD um, diagnosis, oftentimes you're not aware of social spaces. You don't pick up social cues as quickly. 
but you're also then free of a lot of our self-consciousness yeah. that normally I think would keep us from doing stuff like that. And so he gets to pray for people and God shows up in response to his prayers in incredible ways. Um, and so that's been kind of a, a real fun gift side that we've tried to encourage and fan into flame. I, was that the question? No, originally? yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. Steve, what do you say to parents who, whether it's FASD or another kind of diagnosis that they're getting and on in the initial stages, they're feeling fear, they're feeling grief, they're feeling loss. What, what do you say to people who get a, a diagnosis that feels scary that prevents them from letting it turn into a death sentence? Like how, how do you, how do you absorb it and let it be the grave and serious and intense thing that it is? And at the same time, uh, have hope that that allows you to see past some of the limitations that, that you or the science or the experts quote unquote might, might say there are, are on the horizon for you. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, first of all, you've got to start by mourning, um, okay. what is, and, and, and for me, that was mourning my expectations of what it should be and what I thought it was going to be, what my, oh, I thought my life and my family and all of that would look like. You realize that you had these dreams or these expectations of what it would be. And life's just never going to measure up. Um, you know, there's always going to be brokenness and disappointment and stuff like that, but we need to mourn it and be real with it and allow God into that um, as opposed to trying to manage it. Right. So like miles and miles of permission to just grieve. Yeah. Um, and then honestly, I don't, it was, there's, there's gotta be help out there somewhere. It's, we just don't have access to it, I think. And so I totally think God networked us with people or situations that the lifeline came at the, at the best possible moment. I mean, it couldn't have come soon enough at the same time. So I think it's getting out there to find what those reasons are for whatever disability you're, you're facing. One of the greatest resources for us has been on Facebook. There are a bunch of communities on Facebook of parents who are struggling with the same thing. And then all of a sudden to feel like we're not alone and we're not the only ones dealing with this. And we're hearing about how, you know, there, there are people just venting on there, which is natural, but sure. there's also then lots of resources, lots of tools, lots of things that people are discovering along the way that you pick up and learn from, you feel like you're, you're growing and getting stronger that way. So I think hope is always out there. We just have to be looking for it and allowing the Holy Spirits to, to lead us to those things. Steve, it's so good to hear you say that. I had a friend say once that when you're grieving, you need somebody to bear witness to your grief. Uh, and I think that, that you're right, that sometimes people are joining some of those support groups in different stages of their journey. And so sometimes maybe maybe your great gift is giving other people space and permission to, to yell at God and at the world and at their circumstances so that you kind of formalize or verbalize that mourning period and then hopefully over time transition towards em empowerment, right? Uh, we were talking to one of our therapists last week about some of the downsides of social media. And sometimes we forget that one of the, the upsides is it connects people across you know time and space uh, about issues that might otherwise alienate and isolate people. Yeah, absolutely. Steve, talk a little bit about um, your journey of being a coach and where where do you get to see um, you know ministry and service and empowerment happen through that very unique avenue? So we just recently moved to Muskegon two years ago. And so for me as a pastor who 
often finds, I, I believe other pastors, often we find ourselves very quickly only surrounded by Christians because that's who we're working with, which is fantastic. But that bubble effect um, can be really detrimental to, I think, our, our following our mission sense, right? And so having moved into a new community and being passionate about soccer as well and really enjoying students, I love uh, that age bracket, it was an easy way for me to get to know the people in our new neighborhood, to start to meet parents, start to get a feel for just what this community is like. And so it's been a huge window into that. And aside from just being fun, right? I have, it, it's been interesting because I love to win. And uh, and so my competitive side has me tend to go all business, highly structured, work hard, and then we can enjoy. It's fun when you win. Well, right, right. we don't have a very strong program right now. Okay. And so winning is not a um, a metric that's going to help us. We've got to find different ways to define a win. And for me personally, one of the ways that I've wanted to anyways, but it, I'm going to have to lean into it all the more here is in how much our team feels like a family, how much it feels like a safe place where we trust each other. I want us to be able to learn how to actually have a fight because we're in a competitive environment, but how to fight well and come off stronger and more trusting of each other in the whole process. So like, I don't have a science about how to do that, but that's my heart. That's my goal is to create kind of that family atmosphere um, where, where the girls, it's a girls uh, varsity team where the girls feel like they belong and they're safe and they can run to each other and, and to me and the coaches um, when there are ever issues or anything like that. So hats off to you for doing that, Steve, because I just, I know looking back at, at my high school years, a great coach can make a significant impact in the course of a really short season on somebody's life. And I'm, I'm sure you've been on the receiving end of positive and negative experiences as, as an athlete. And yeah. I just, I'll be praying for you as you get ready, as you kind of head into this season, uh, cause tryouts just ended this week, or this is the first week of training. That's right. Tryouts just ended and we're just starting training. So here okay. we go. Well, I will be, I'll be praying with and for you as you, you, uh, head off on this new endeavor. Steve, if people are, are curious, they want to get in touch either with you about FASD or Watermark, if they're looking for a church in the Grand Haven, Muskegon area, where can they go for more information? Yeah, honestly, if you want to reach out to me, I'll give you my email address, thompson at sentonmission.com. That's S-E-N-T-O-N-M-I-S-S-I-O-N.com. I would be happy to share any resources I have or point you in any directions we've become aware of that have been good for us. So yeah, I'm glad to do that. Great. Steve, thanks so much for taking time to share uh, just your passion and your joy and your story. It's, it's meant a lot to us. And I look forward to continuing the conversation in the future. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hi, this is Ann Lucas, parenting coach from Winning at Home. As a fellow adoptive parent, I appreciate what Steve had to say about learning to parent differently. One of the resources that may be helpful to foster an adoptive parent is our three-week Creating Peace and Calm class that I am leading. You can find more information and register at winningathome.com events. Just scroll down to group coaching and click on the Creating Peace and Calm class. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, 
community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.